Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh and welcome to the Vet Med Mind. What is the Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners, celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Tashberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current, past, and maybe even future uh, success stories. Hey everyone, it's Rachel Tachberg. I am so excited for today's podcast episode because Sean and I had the pleasure of meeting with Debbie Boone. She's the founder of Two Manage Vets Consulting and also the president of Vet Partners. Now you've probably heard of Debbie. She's worked in the industry for more than 35 years as a manager, consultant, writer, and speaker. And we were just so thrilled to pick her brain and learn more about her insights around communication and client service, leadership, and also team retention. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as we did and keep listening to the Vet Med Mind. Hi, everybody. This is Sean and Rachel. We're here for another Vet Med Mind, and we have the distinct pleasure of having the amazing Debbie Boone uh, with us today. Uh, As we were talking about before, uh, I go to the Wayback Machine when I think of Debbie because uh, she was one of the people in the audience when I first started speaking, and uh, uh, we kind of came up together in this era when non-veterinarians were able to begin to make an impact in veterinary medicine in many, many ways. And so I consider you a pioneer in that way. And because we celebrate success with the Vet Med Mind podcast, we wanted to talk to you about kind of your definition of success, your journey to success. And to do that, we can maybe start out autobiographically and you can tell us just, you know, who you are, where you're from and, and how you got to this place doing what you do because you're you're a consultant but you're so much more than that and you have and you've started organizations for consultants so tell us the debbie boone story and when i google you it's still uh i still get a lot of that 1970s song hit that comes up (laughs) it was a challenge to overcome my social social media profile because everybody wanted to think i was pat boone's daughter singing you light up my life it's a beautiful song and i remember it from the 70s i sang it in choir and i thought i loved that song but yeah i had a hard time finding you (laughs) yeah that's right you have to put this cvpm after it and and then you will be inundated with all kinds of stuff in fact i I, every now you you google yourself and you go Lord, I forgot I did that, right? It's, yes. when, you, when you talk about being a pioneer, basically what you kindly said is I've been doing this forever in a day and I'm old, but it's all good. And our viewers can't see you, but you look great too. Oh, so. I thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. There's, the, there's this wonderful thing in Zoom called... Um, <clears throat> Uh, adjust my focus, right? There we go. Filters. <laughs> Filter out some of the wrinkles. But uh, so the story is I was one of those kids who wanted to be a veterinarian and went to NC State, got a degree in animal science, pre-vet, found out I had to take comparative anatomy and went, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but my family owned restaurants growing up. So I grew up in business and hospitality, had been running P&Ls by the time I was 15 and, you know, a lot of customer service experience. And just, you know, I think when you grow up in a household full of entrepreneurs, you absorb uh, how to do business. And so I just knew how to do it. But um, I started out working in vet med as a part-time CSR in 1985. And um 
I, I left because I was going to starve, right? It was a minimum wage job. And I'm like, I was just trying to get my foot in the door. Then I went on to manage a fabric shop and then a jewelry shop. And I really love jewelry. And my husband said, you, you've got to change jobs. This is ridiculous. <laughs> what you're you're going spending to everything you make. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I said, but I get a discount. And I was, a, yeah, if you didn't buy it at all, right, it wouldn't be a discount. <laughs> so, so one day I sold one of my associate veterinarians a watch and he went back and he told the practice owner where I was. And I get this call that says, you need to come and talk to me. And when I went over, he said, my wife tells me she needs a, I need a practice manager because she's really sick of me coming home every night at nine and 10 o'clock. Wow. And he said, um, I don't know what you're going to do, but here, and that was my job description because, Amen. you know, well, and you know, I mean, back in the day, Practice owners manage their practices, and usually you were a veterinarian if you were an owner, and lay people didn't just come in and manage practices. It was very unusual, and it was really unusual for women to do it, um, mm-hmm. because at that time we were, you know, VHMA was Mark Opperman, Ralph Dukes, Roger Cummings, uh, that crowd. You know, fortunately for me, I mean, I did find VHMA early in my career because it was kind of a lifeline because there was... There were no data points. There was nothing to tell you what you should be looking for in benchmarking. And, you know, I was really blessed that the first practice I managed had a practice owner that was an excellent businessman. He, too, had grown up family business. And so he was a good business person. And Owen McCafferty was our consultant. who I still every now and then touch base with. I love Owen. But he um, he set the groundwork. And so when I managed the practice, I brought the hospitality part into it. And I knew enough about the business. And then the systems were set in place by Owen. And my practice owner also is very active in Rotary. So they teach mm-hmm. their executives leadership. Mm-hmm. And that came into it. So it was just this great combination of learning. And I stayed in that practice for 19 years. And then mm-hmm. um, my practice owner was getting ready to retire. I had an opportunity to go and work for Dr. Joe Canarney, who I'm sure you know. And mm-hmm. and Joe, I managed his practices for about three and a half years until the recession hit. And then mm-hmm. I started my own consulting business when he laid me off because he told me he couldn't afford me anymore, which mm-hmm. that's all right, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I learned so much in that practice because it was mixed animal and we did specialty work and we did emergency work. So throw in the shelter that we managed for the county. There was I mean, the learning was incredible. Mm -hmm. So when I got out, um, started my own consulting business, I really had a lot of experience to bring to the table. But and I'm sure you saw this, too, in your work. I was stunned when I started consulting at how poorly practices were run, how badly they often treated their teams, mm-hmm. and 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 not just the dysfunction, but just the the lack of knowledge about how to manage a business. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a lot of surprises for me because I felt like I knew our medicine was good because we were you know a high accredited hospitals, and I tell people all the time I'm a medicine snob. I'm you know I self confess that, but. I thought the business practices would be fairly normal. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. No. Would would you agree? And and it's not because we've had similar journeys in terms of uh, chronologically. And so would you agree that veterinarians 
hid behind their doctorate as enough training to run a business and basically didn't define success as taking care of the business. They define success as taking care of the community, the client, the patient, but at the sacrifice of the business. And that's been the paradigm shift that professional management has been able to bring to the table. Do you think that's an accurate statement? I think that's fairly accurate. Uh, you know, knowing what I know, looking back and, and you know, and looking at some of the books, um, there was a lot of giveaways and, you know, that was that community service. And and I don't, I don't believe that you shouldn't give stuff away, mm-hmm. but I think you should give it away in a controlled manner mm-hmm. that, you know, you just don't randomly give it away. It my my belief is always, if you give someone a gift, they've got to know they got it. And so <laughs> you've got to be able to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm I'm giving you this discount because, you know, such and such and so and so. And here's a reason behind it. And I'm going to show you what it would have cost. And I'm going to show you what it does cost, you know, what I'm what I've given you. Um, and so many of those discounts are hidden, right? There's no there's no bump in gratitude from the client because they don't even know they got it. And so, you know, strategically giving things away, I don't have a problem with. Um, mm-hmm. I do have concern that we sometimes go too far the other way. And veterinarian veterinarians are purpose-filled animal advocates. And if we don't allow them to do some good work in the world, then their soul is harmed. And but we can put again systems in place. I'm a huge fan of the Veterinary Care Foundation and gathering funds for charitable work, um, having strategic plans in place for financing, you know, how can we help people? This is really our job. You know, when, when I think, you know, back, what is it? 1995 when care credit came onto the market. Yes. Oh, I remember how excited I was that I didn't have to figure out payment plans for people anymore. This is like joy to the world. I remember that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got people crying at the front desk. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, trying to figure that out and not get burnt at the same time. And unfortunately, yeah. you did get burnt a lot. Accounts receivable were 10 percent of. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of the revenue. Yeah. Rate. So mm-hmm. when so when that came on the market, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think we went almost too far to where we lost our creativity just because people can't pay all that today doesn't mean they can't pay it. Mm-hmm. And we could be creative in that. We could mm-hmm. say, well, okay, we don't have to do everything today. But mm-hmm. but veterinary medicine always been like, we can get them in once a year. Let's do it all, man. Let's right. do it all on there, right? Get those mm-hmm. ACTs up. But a little bit, you know, I would rather have people pay $200 twice a year than struggle to pay $350 once. And I still have $50 to the good and mm-hmm. got better care. But we're, you know, I had a veterinarian tell me one day, but Debbie, we can't get them in once. And I said, that's because, you know, you make them sit in the lobby and wait. People are not nice to them. You talk over their head in medical ease. And then you wonder why they are reluctant to bring their pet to you. You don't make it a good experience. Change mm-hmm. that and they'll come as often as you want. Oh, Debbie, your Southern accent is so soothing. And so um, it, it's like a British accent in that you can say anything to anybody that's even critical. And it just sounds like mom is telling you she loves you with baked cookies. 
Bless your heart. Well, <laughs> it's funny that you say that, John, because I was kind of thinking the same thing. You know, you came from hospitality, so you kind of look at practices in a whole new light as an experience, right, rather than yes. necessarily service. And so was it hard, you know, you were hired in these two practices, you know, and you had this opportunity to flourish. There were no expectations when you started. So you sort of had this wide runway to just say like, figure this out. We don't even know what you're supposed to do, which I yes. think a lot of practice managers, that's often their job description. From it the is. Start still. Mm-hmm. But when you moved into a consulting role, were you refinding a lot of pushback? I mean, you know, a lot of times, right, there's no process, there's no structure and all those things can be very scary. Um, so when you're kind of talking to people about creativity and creating process and strategy, what was that like initially for practices that may have not had that before? Well, again, going back to communication and hospitality, it's all in how you present something. And maybe the Southern accent helped, but I never tried to browbeat people into submission. And when I do contract with a client, I'm very clear that says my goal is that you succeed because your success is my success and I don't like to fail. So if you don't want to do the things that I'm asking you to do and you're not willing to listen, don't waste your money and don't hire me. And that's how I start out my conversation. So it's just like with any employee, clear expectations, right? You set the tone from the very beginning. And then if they are reluctant to comply, so now remember what we promise each other, right? I'm going to be really honest with you and you would be honest with me. But I, I think it is very... Oh, it's a fearful thing to have somebody come in and scrutinize your baby, right? And sometimes you have to tell people their baby is ugly. (laughs) But you can do it kindly. And for me, getting the changes happens with the team. Um, Typically, when I'm talking to everybody on the team, and I do talk to everybody, I find patterns and consistent problems. And so I go, okay, let's solve these and let's solve them together. I don't work here, so I cannot solve them for you, but I can guide you in how to solve Mm -hmm. them. And then I let them do the work. And then it's much stickier if they do it than if I come in as the authority and try to tell them how. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just the coach. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not the player. Mm -hmm. Uh I know your consulting business in general is about helping practices and obviously helping them succeed. And you consult over uh, all arenas, I presume, other than medicine. So the big challenge, we're seeing it in the clinics that we own and we're seeing it in the clinics that that we do business with. I can't find people. I can't find people. Every business out there is struck. You know, we are building a home right now, which wow, 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 we're building a home. I'm lucky to be doing that. But we are a year and two months delayed on building the house. And of course over budget because uh mostly it's where they can't find people right uh, qualified people and so you know COVID has been successful at driving people out of the workforce who have yet to return and i've always said in veterinary medicine that we are going to rue the day that we do not provide psychological paychecks to people because Mm -hmm. we don't pay enough already Mm -hmm. and we can't control that because it's fee for service and we're at the top always of what we can get away with Mm -hmm. before the consumer box uh, as all medical care providers are yet we still lost a bunch of people and they're not coming back Mm -hmm. so to me it says uh, my theory is that it's about 
often toxicity in the workplace and and not providing psychological rewards. So can you speak to that? And do you have some advice for our listeners about uh, about how to staff a clinic these days and what they should be doing, you know, to not lose hope? Because we hear people getting hopeless and then they hold on to what I believe are problem employees, Mm -hmm. even when they should make a people change. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, the fact that we think we can do nothing is not true. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have an appointment book. Mm -hmm. You can control the runaway horse. We don't think that we can, but we must. And there is capacity. And when you keep pushing your people over capacity, you are setting them on fire to burn out. It is hard to turn away animals. I understand how hard it is to turn away animals. But this is what I used to tell people all the time who's, you know, but I can't pay, but I can't pay. I went, if I give it away to to you, all those animals that I help, I can't help them either because I'm not going to be in business. I'm not going to have any staff. I've got to pay my people well and I've got to drive revenue in order to do that. So there's, you can't have it one way or the other. But when you are talking about toxic environment, you're talking about psychological safety in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And you can create that without money. Um, you can be kind to each other. You can train your team in communication skills. And I know you and I are preaching the gospel right here. Mm-hmm. It is how do you understand each other? How do you know what your own brain is telling you? Because it often is a liar. Amen. It lies a lot, actually, to you mm-hmm. about people's intent. So if we start to teach our teams good communication skills, how to read body language, how to understand, you know, limbic brain responses, how to coach through conflict, how to give feedback to each other that's not hateful, snarky and negative, but but actually moves the needle. Um, then we solve a lot of the problems. You know, in, in my practice, the practice I left in 2005, there was a great culture and retention is the key. If you if you don't want to have to have hiring problems, retain who you've got. And the longer you retain them, the better they get at their jobs and the more efficient and effective they are. And clients also are building trust with those people. And that's that relationship building. And so when when times get tough and you have built solid relationships with your clients, they will give you grace. As it is, if you don't do that with people, they will look for a reason to nail you to the cross. And this is probably some of the problem in VetMed right now is we have not taught this. Uh, we have not trained our teams to be good at customer service to be good communicators, pushing information out. So to give you an example, here we do, COVID hits, curbside happens. How many practices actually educated their clients months before they needed to come in that we were now doing curbside, that we were shorthanded, that we, you know, people didn't have childcare, that we were doing the best that we could. And so plan ahead and get your appointments made two months Mm -hmm. out because we want you to be able to get in when you want to get in. But we didn't do that. We let them drive up into the parking lot, knock on the door and said, I'm sorry, you can't come in. And then you got to sit in your car and wear a mask. We blindsided people and I don't Mm -hmm. blame them for being angry. We should have 
communicate it. And I actually wrote a letter, put it on my website, gave it away free and said, use this template and tell your people. And and the people who did responded back and said, oh, my God, our clients are so supportive. They understand. It's like Christmas. They are sending us stuff. And one client even offered to come and help run the front desk for one of my clients. So people know they will help. They will support. But if you just surprise them, they are not. And, you know, and the other thing, we have a lot of people who are... um, who are very stressed. Anytime there's routine is broken and let's face it, it was broken, bent, crumpled up and thrown in the trash for the last couple of years. Then people get very um, weary mentally. Um, Mm -hmm. They're exhausted because they have to think through everything and the constant changes wear them out. So the clients are tired mentally. The staff is tired mentally. And it's a recipe for conflict if you don't get a skill set that says, I understand what my trigger points are and how I'm going to react when somebody throws, you don't care about anything but the money. So communication skills and addressing the problems proactively in the practice and not hiding our head in the sand, if you will, and hoping Mm -hmm. that it goes away is the way to at least address some of the retention issues. So are you thinking what we're thinking, which is there is no, there isn't going to be a horse that rides in and saves your practice and creates more people. This is the new reality. It is. So you are going to have to adapt and adjust and holding on to or retaining people does not mean keeping people that aren't qualified or keeping people that aren't a good spiritual fit for your practice. Exactly. Correct. Yes, exactly. In my experience, people would rather work shorthanded than work with someone toxic Mm -hmm. or work with someone lazy or someone who Mm -hmm. actually is dragging the team down. Mm -hmm. It's the, the comparative I give is you, you driving a Ferrari and you decide to put a used Yugo part in. Mm-hmm. And the use you go part is always going to cause dysfunction in the engine. Mm-hmm. So you got to get rid of it and you got to get, you got to find a, 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 a genuine Ferrari part to replace mm-hmm. it so that you're running like you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard sometimes because sometimes those people are highly skilled. They may have been with you a long time. Um, they are the, you know, the sacred cow of the practice. Yeah. Yeah. We call and, them untouchables. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and the problem with that is they become complacent and think that they don't have to you know, be accountable or hold a standard. And then other people see that model and they follow that same model. And so you've just pulled everything down into this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and hard as it is, yeah, you sometimes you have to say, you know, maybe I'll have to shorten my hours. Maybe I'll have to you know, close on Wednesday afternoon, maybe I'll have to do some adjustment. But, you know, the other thing that I am a huge advocate for is technology. There is so much monkey work in veterinary medicine, calling this and scheduling that. And why in the world would we not embrace a tool like Vestoria that allows us to Uh, our clients to make their own appointments. I mean, I don't think I've made a hotel or an airline or a car reservation and talked to a human in 10 years. So Mm -hmm. the technology is there, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. It's much Um, more efficient to be honestly working. It's, it's a better experience for the client as well. You know, there's a reason why when you have to call your insurance company or you do have to get American airlines Mm -hmm. on the phone, you're like, Oh my God, 
I, this is the thing I dread the most. Let me go get some my animal to pet while I'm on the phone with this yes. person. Something and to I'm eat. Gonna, I'm going to be on here long. I'm going to be on yes. hold for an hour of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more that the technology is such an important component. Um, I know that obviously, I think one of the biggest pushbacks for a lot of the stuff, the communication training, the investing in new technology is time. It's like, oh yeah, I'd love to fix my practice and I'd love to do communication training and I'd love to invest in new software, but when are we going to learn it? How am I going to train my team? So what is some advice you can give to practices who already feel like they're at the end of their rope Mm -hmm. and now the solution will ultimately require time? Your door has a lock on it. And your phone has an on hold button and, and, you know, message on hold. We make time for what is important to us. And if I looked at you and said, you're running a veterinary hospital, but you don't have time to do vaccines, you would think I was insane. Or you don't have time to do surgery. Well, of course we make time to do surgery. Then guess what? You need to make time to do training. Um, It is so short-sighted to not do it. And it becomes so efficient. I've always believed, take care of your team, your team, take care of your clients, your clients, take care of your business. That's the way it rolls. And if we don't take care of people, if we don't educate them, if we don't have them some kind of forward trajectory, I mean, I I believe in pay scale because one of our problems is you have to move out to move up. Mm -hmm. And why, why wouldn't we set up different levels of training have pay scales, give people an, an ambition to move to the next you know, level, test them on that. You know, people, I like tests. I give my staff tests, right? Um, and, and move them up because then you have justification for giving them more money, but they also become much more effective in educating clients. And the better we educate clients, the better we do. My practice had a 90, I mean, 87% compliance on preventative care, which is how I got started speaking for Novartis. They went, can you go teach mm-hmm. other people how to do that? I went, yeah, I think I can. Mm-hmm. But, but it was the team, you know, it was training the team to a standard of care. This is how we do things here. I laughingly call it in the South, we call it the gospel. We It's the gospel of the hospital. This is how we do it. And everybody believes the gospel mm-hmm. and preaches the same message. You can't have one doctor doing this and one doctor doing that. And the kennel staff going, no, I'd go to Petco if I were you. That doesn't mm-hmm. work, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to give them a message to mm-hmm. give to the clients that is consistent. Going back to standard operating procedures. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. How would you define success for yourself? Do you feel successful? Or do you think you're successful? And how do you define professional success? I feel like if you are successful, you have you have done good in the world. Okay. Okay. You have you have educated some people, then you've made their lives better. And that is truly my definition of it. I feel like I I try when I write and when I speak to give information and ideas and tell stories that people can go back to work and practically make their lives better. Okay. So to you, it's all about the impact on human, not, not on, on life, on yes. people. And I think animals would be, we, we say that we know they're separate, but uh, the impact on spirits. Yes. If you will. Yeah. I appreciate that. I don't, I don't, and it's one of the, it's obvious if 
financial isn't the only thing that makes mm-hmm. people successful, but it's one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast because I think uh, to your point earlier, it, having started a corporation and knowing that, you know, that corporate uh, influences everywhere and part of what drives corporations, at least publicly is bottom line. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I wanted on the other end of that to be an advocate for what I truly believe, because when we started Thrive and VGP, bottom line wasn't really what we were thinking about. Mm -hmm. We were really thinking about taking our energy, our spirit, what we felt like we had captured in our hospitals and putting in a bottle and see if we could share that with other people. And so I, I appreciate you and other people that have made an impact in that way, because there's no, there's no substitute for the heart impact in business. I think mm-hmm. uh, along with something else you said that I think we're hearing a constant theme of uh, Rachel, you'll back me up here or not, that the importance of being from an entrepreneurial family yeah. Uh, if you want to be able to be an effective entrepreneur, uh, you know, I didn't have that background, but I had the background of desperation and poverty, <laughs> which made me, which made me by some definitions an entrepreneur because I was just, I was going to nose to the grindstone. So, but, I, but I had to learn the hard way, this other stuff. And I think, have, I feel like we've heard from almost every person we've talked to that's successful They've had either that or kind of a hard luck story mm-hmm. and or they've had a they've had business modeled for them mm-hmm. and they didn't go into business with like, this is a mystery how to do right. this. And, and it it's all so special that only veterinarians know how to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in the restaurant business, but if you look at some of the stats from, you know, Bureau and Labor Statistics, those kind of things, 60 percent of new restaurants fail within the first year. And they fail because people go, I love to cook. I love to entertain. I love to feed people. But they don't realize that there is a definite cost to food, food waste, Mm -hmm. making sure that your inventory on-time ordering is correct. Portion control. (laughs) Portion control, creating a menu that's appealing to the public, giving great customer service. I mean, there's so much more to it than just I like to cook. And the same thing for veterinary medicine, you know, medicine is the product that we sell and we are a service provider to humans who want that product for their animals. And when we consider a lot of times, you know, are are you familiar with the book story brand? There's there's a framework to it. Okay. So think about this in every book, every movie, Um, There is a story and there's a framework to it. And then there's always a hero. There's always um, a dilemma, a problem. There's Mm -hmm. the wise counselor, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Mm -hmm. Or Merlin, if you're a King Arthur fan. (laughs) Then there is the path to success or failure that the wise counselor leads the hero through. Well, in veterinary medicine, I like to ask people, I said, who do you think is the hero of the story? And often they will go, well, the veterinarian is the hero or the pet is the hero, but the client is really the hero of the story. And we are Merlin. We're the wise Mm -hmm. counselor. And when we put ourselves into the correct framework, we're much better at moving the story forward to the successful happy ending because the failure comes if the hero doesn't listen to the wise counselor, right? That's the failure. And and we're not telling the right story a lot of times in Batman. That's, yeah. that's a, I like that a lot. Any advice for young 
hospital managers, administrators, or leaders coming into the profession. I say young, young professionally, maybe not chronologically. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, I think the most important thing, and and you can see behind me, the audience can't, but there's a stack of books behind me. That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, educate yourself. You know, you mentioned it, that you were proactively educating yourself, and we all do it all the time. But instead of educating yourself about maybe financial stuff, that's important, but educate yourself about how people tick. Because if you can get the people pointed in the right direction, the rest of it is easy. It's just numbers and numbers are numbers are finite. Numbers don't dance around. Numbers don't have emotions. Figure out the people part. Sage advice from a lady who's been in the trenches a long, long time. Hey, Rachel, do you have any rapid fire questions? I do. Okay, ready? Your first question. What was the name of your first pet? Sandy. Awesome. Favorite kind of music? Country. Of course. Uh, What's your number one guilty pleasure? Chocolate ice cream. Mm, I can get behind that. What's the one thing? Uh, what's one thing on your bucket list? A trip to Europe. Mm, anywhere in particular you're looking to go? I want to go to Ireland and I want to go see Westminster. Beautiful. Mm. Uh, what is your go to airport snack? I carry those little Belveda breakfast cookies with me because I don't like junk food in the airports. And so I. I control my world as much as possible. <laughs> Very smart. What is your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> I can sing like Patsy Cline. Crazy. Great. Uh-huh. <laughs> and last but not least, I know you were just talking about advice for people in the profession, but if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? I would have probably had more jobs as a young person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I would, I would have liked to have more perspective other than just restaurant and vet man. I have to ask, is there any industry that calls to you that you're like, I would, I, that would be cool in an alternate life to test that out. I, you know, honestly, I love photography and I think I would have loved to have done something with photography or a camera crew. Um, I just look at like the wildlife stuff and the nature photography. And like, oh man, it would be so cool to do. Yes. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Debbie, we couldn't be more appreciative of you being here. And it's just so great to hear your story. So well, thank I you appreciate so it. I appreciate yeah. the invitation. Yeah. It's fun. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker, it could be the person who cleans your hospital, Uh, it it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, Uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, Those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but um, always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life what's going on in their vet med mind 